Welcome to this episode of Tap Into College Golf. I'm your host, Brandy Jackson, founder of Brandy Jackson Golf, where young female golfers can come join the team in search of coaching, consulting, mentorship, and guidance on all things junior golf related, and of course, the college recruiting process. There's also access to an online course, or if you're looking for some fun girls golf lifestyle apparel, even added that to the collection last year. So be sure to go check out www.brandyjacksongolf.com. That's Brandy with an I. Before we hop into this episode, which is an just awesome episode, I did just want to make note that this was recorded as a video group panel. So the audio is going to be a little bit different. Um, there's five coaches on here. We did this as a Zoom video chat, but recorded the audio. So thought you all who come and join on the podcast here might want to listen in. Um, so just want to keep that in mind, but let's get right to it. Welcome everybody to this uh, first edition of, I guess we can kind of consider it part of the, the Tap Into College Golf podcast. It's just coming to you live I can't say live. We're doing this live, but um, you're hearing it, uh, hearing it now and able to listen in on our conversation here that I have with five just great coaches, great people, great programs. Um, had a couple of them already on the, uh, the podcast with me, but you know, this day and age, we're doing things a little bit different right now. So you get to see everybody's smiling faces and, and, and their very scenic backgrounds on a few of them. Um, so excited <laughs> to have, um, have this group of coaches and I'm going to let each of them introduce themselves. Um, and obviously you all out there listening, just kind of, um, be patient as we do these zoom calls and sometimes it gets a little overlapped, but uh, I'm going to have some great questions for all these coaches and, I'm just grateful for them joining and, and taking the time to, to help educate me as well as all of you out there listening. So uh, I'll let you all take it away with the introductions. If there's anything you want to kind of add just about, you know, where you've been, how long you've been there, um, do that. And then we'll just start knocking out some of these questions. All right, awesome. Lisa, you're first. Uh, how about that? I see you up there first. So we're going to, I might need a little direction just to help, but yeah, uh, yeah, my name is Lisa Strom. Yep, I'm at Kent State University. I've uh, just completed our first season, unfortunately, a little early, but I uh, was at Texas State for three years prior to this, and uh, the assistant at Ohio State for about five and a half years prior to there. Awesome. All right, we'll go in order, Shauna. You're right below. I'm going to go about what I'm seeing. Yes, I'll go in that kind of order. Y'all's, your order may be a little different. So, Shauna, awesome. Uh, thanks, Brandy, for having us today. Um, Shauna Taylor, uh, I've been at University of Arkansas for 18 years, um, so quite a long time. I was five as the assistant coach, and I was fortunate to be uh, promoted to head coach, so I just uh, finished my 13th season as head coach here. So, um, glad to be awesome. here today. Awesome. Glad to have you on here and let's catch up too. We go back to our South Carolina junior golf days, high school boys days, way back. Sign up. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. It's funny. Yes. I saw somebody repost a picture that you were in that made me, um, made me think back to that, those high school junior golf days here in uh, I know. South Carolina. So. All right, Erica, you're next on my screen. So take it away. Hey y'all. I'm Erica. I'm the head women's golf coach at the university of South Florida. And I have just finished my second full season there. Um, they made a mid-year coaching change, which is a little different uh, in most situations. But prior to University of South Florida, I was the head coach at University of Southern Mississippi for two and a half years. And prior to that, uh, Division II St. Leo University for five years. 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, glad to have you again. And you're one of my early on uh, podcast guests. So um, you and then next up in line over there, we've got Lindsay there from uh, out in Denver. So tell us a little bit there, Lindsay. Yes. And thank, Brandy, I just want to say thank you for doing this. I love your creativity and your idea, idea to put thank us you. all together and um, especially when we're all at home and have, well, I'm, I'm hands, just, right. I'm taking advantage of, you know, try to turn a, a positive in the fact that I can get you all together. So I figure I might as well, you know, might as well take advantage of it. So I love it. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I am the head coach at the university of Denver. I've been coaching kind of like Shauna. Um, I'm only I've, through 15 years. So I'm a little behind. Um, but I've been at the university of Denver all 15 years. I was at Georgia um, for about five months. Um, before I became the head coach here. Um, I'm from Denver, so back home, absolutely love it. Um, but I got into coaching right after I graduated from Tulane in 2005. Awesome, awesome. All right, and then we got Laura down there. I'm not sure her uh, her background. We know where she's at, but um, tell us a little bit about you there at Arizona and, and how that's been. Thank you for having all of us, Brandy. This is a treat. Um, we go way back, Brandy, back to our rookie yes. days on the on tour. But uh, oh, Laura, yes, I know yes. I coach at the University of Arizona. This is my thirteenth year. Ten year, uh, ten years now as a head coach. Three years as an assistant. Arizona, also my alma mater. So uh, proud to be coaching here. It's home. Awesome, awesome, and that. National championship y'all brought home. It's been what, uh, I lost track of time. Two years? Two. That two mm -hmm. years okay. Awesome. Yes. I remember watching all that. That was, uh, that was exciting. So we have, and I mean, just a great collection of just the success, both, you know, before you all started coaching and taking it into coaching and, um, you know, just the programs I've enjoyed. I, I follow, you know, all that, that you all do. And yeah, I got different, um, histories going back and then some that uh both like Lindsay and Eric have gotten to know a little bit more post all of our playing days but um again just appreciate you all being on and as I you know I sent you all a few questions that we're going to kind of go over so we're going to kind of hit them in kind of three different scenarios just of um you know kind of what we have going on right now just in this craziness Let's talk about that and even as I said to y'all I know some of these questions are kind of hard to answer right now because uh, you know, Coach Strom and I talked about it a little bit uh, last week. There's still so much uncertainty. So I understand that. Hopefully all the listeners out there will understand that. So you may have to answer it that way. I do want to just talk a little bit about what's going on right now with the, the COVID-19 situation and what the NCAA has done. So first, I'm just kind of curious how it has been an adjustment to you all kind of as coaches, both personally or professionally, I know Laura and I were talking about it, you know, having some of y'all, you know, you all have kids and during this time, you're the stay at home moms right now, the school teacher, you know, you're all of that. Um, and then just professionally, you know, you know, as being coaches and in this time, just kind of being pulled out from under you. So if there's somebody who wants to take that away first, go ahead. And then if somebody wants to add in, I know we've got a couple of different kind of personal situations in terms of how it's affected you all, but we'd love to hear how that's been for you all personally and in as coaches um do you want me to go first there we go go for it yes yes like i said we'll um, get in the rhythm a little bit sure. but go ahead uh i i think for me i've just really tried to um kind of turn a sort of a negative into a positive in that um this is a, probably the first time in 18 years i've actually had some time off um if you will some good quality family time um, that I, you know, trying to get to be, be the mom to grace that I've sort of always wanted to be, wake up in the mornings and cook breakfast and 
um, Adam's home every day. So it's, uh, it's, it's definitely been a treat, but it's been challenging. So what I've really tried to do is divide my day up into like three, three pieces. In the morning, I homeschool Grace. Um, we go over stuff and that her teachers sent us, get creative. We do yoga together. I do special guest teachers. Some of my former players uh, come on and, and see her and FaceTime and try and teach her a lesson. And then usually about midday, we have lunch together. And then Grace goes down for a nap. And that's when I, I do two things. I connect with my team and, and try and do some personal development, just trying to grow as a coach and um, just really trying to be structured and disciplined with what I'm doing too. And but having grace in the midst of it as well and having some fun playtime and, and going outside and sidewalk chalk and all that stuff and, and just really just trying to embrace what it is. I mean, it is what it is. We're all going through it and trying to find the positive in it. Makes sense. Yes. Anybody else, something a little different take? I know Lisa there don't have the, you're like me, don't have the kids side of things with things. So how has been, but I mean, it still changed, you know, totally changed your, your daily routine. So how's that been for you? And, um, you know, I know you've probably done a lot of personal, personal development and coaching stuff as well. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Touching on just like what Shauna said. I mean, I think it's a great time to kind of enjoy some time that we've never been given and we can sit here and, and complain about some stuff if we really wanted to, but that's really not going to get us out of the situation and it's not going to make us any better coming back when, when it is time to return. So you know, for me, it's been um, kind of ebbs and flows with the emotions of having a season cut short. I would say, you know, to, you know, to touch on that a little bit, I think that was tough. Um, but connecting with players and, and, and the recruiting piece, you know, that's, a, that's been a huge time uh, spent doing that. But, you know, I've been able to, to it's, it's interesting who you hear from. You start to reconnect with some old friends. I mean, we had a big Zoom chat with a bunch of old players from our Futures Tour days. And, you know, it's just not this time of year. We're usually yeah. in such a zone of other stuff. that um, it, That's been really just kind of eye-opening that, you know what, this is, this is not so bad. Um, but day-to-day, -day, you know, I started working out pretty hard. And uh, had some issues with my left knee that I'm going to have to take care of now. So... Uh, <laughs> You know, getting older is not, not uh, fun either. Shauna and I are about the same age. We, we were at the national championship together in 2000 and, in yeah. uh, Oregon, and we go way getting back. Old. Yeah, it, was, it was really fun, and we still had our senior skit. And I just realizing we're not as young as we used to be. And, um, you know, for me, it's just uh, it's been a great time, though, to really reassess. And, and like you said, with the personal development, I'm big into that anyway. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm also realizing you can't do it all. And you don't have to do it all and you don't have to get on every webinar that's being offered um, but when you find a couple of things that really resonate with you and you know that it's going to make you better off uh, in the long run I think that's that's the time to dive in when, when stuff that maybe you didn't have a chance to, to do during a long time like this yeah nice any anybody else want to talk about that or while if you want to add in some kind of the next question i know um, both shauna and lisa talked about this a little bit is how you're keeping your players engaged and motivated during this time so obviously you're having to do stuff virtually are you able to do you know uh, what are some of the things that you all are doing with your players to help keep them um because like i said they're they're not used to having this time free either um so what's some things that you're able to do with them um during this time i'll answer that Go ahead, Lindsay. yes um I actually just got off a Zoom meeting with my team um, just before this, but every Monday we meet for just an hour. And what I love so much about this time is we're really able to focus on mental skills training 
you know, reading books, listening to podcasts, stuff that we wouldn't normally have time to do during being in season. You know, we're going to use those 20 hours to practice and to work out. And um, so I love that the most, you know, we're talking about, we're already starting to talk about goals for next year and our team's vision and, you know, what makes us come together and play the best golf we possibly can. So I love this time to actually be able to talk about things, what worked well, what are we going to change in the future? You know, you don't get that time, especially when the season's over in May. You don't have these sit-down sessions with your players face-to-face um, and you're not writing reports and, and working on next year. You're tired. You know, you're, 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 your season's over, so you don't have this time. So I love the fact that we can already start planning for next year. Yeah, that's good. That makes sense. Um, like you said, it, it is, it's a different, just a diff- different mentality right now. So you got to try to, like I said, try to keep them engaged, but yet feel like it seems almost so far away, especially when this first happened, you know, you had to kind of give them that time to like de-stress and not go so much into, okay, like what's next, but we're kind of in that phase now of we're kind of on the tail end of it. So you got to start yeah. thinking forward a little bit more. And I think kind of shift mentalities a little bit. Um, it seems like everybody tends to be doing that. I thought that was the difficult part when this all happened is I think we needed a couple weeks to just take it all in and decompress and figure out, you know, what are we going to do next instead of jumping right in to, um, it was optional at the time, but what are you guys working on? What do you do? You know, I think we all needed our own time to analyze the situation. Um, but now, like you said, we're at the, we're at the tail end of it now and we're starting to see the light and get excited for next season. Yes. Yeah. Anything else anybody else is doing, maybe special or different with your players having to do everything virtually right now? Uh, one of the things that, that we've actually done, which has been awesome and, and I think speaks to the other coaches with uh, along the same sentiment, like before, sometimes you just don't have the time to do it. Um, but we have a, a core group of returning uh, golf athletes combined with four girls from our softball team. Um, and, and it's, it's a group of girls that I had a chance to build out relationships with just because I love, I love softball. Um, but we come together and now we're, we did a book club. So we've already done, we've already finished our first book, which was Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown. Um, and what's really cool is we flipped the switch. Now we're actually doing a movie each week. Um, so suggesting three movies, we did breakfast club. Um, we're about to do the perks of being a wallflower. Uh, so just more ways I think to, to even have interconnection between the teams. Um, and I think that that's been really fun and, and just something different, something that you wouldn't normally do. So um, always trying to look for silver linings. And I think those relationships, once you're back on campus, will continue to be incredibly strong relationships because they were kind of forged out of this adversity. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that um, I, I do like that. And I think any perspective from a different sport when you, you kind of feel like you're everybody's kind of going through it and, and uh, again, have different different ways of handling it, especially being another spring sport and and kind of having that same, same thing happen, but have a different, different way to approach it. Maybe. Awesome. All right. Well, last kind of thing on this, and then we'll kind of get into a little bit talking about more, not current day, but what a typical college golf season might be like. Um, But one of the big things, and again, I know this is still kind of time to tell and going to be different for every situation, but how do you feel like all that's going on is going to affect these next couple of years of recruiting? Um, Any, you know, any initial thoughts with it or that you've seen so far with just, you know, obviously this could continue to kind of filter on down 
through the next couple of years, but especially for those juniors who were right in the middle of the process, sophomores who are getting ready to start it, how does, does this seem to be maybe affecting that recruiting or from your perspective, how have you had to make any adjustments, adjustments for that so far? Um, I'll, I'll head, uh, go ahead, Brenda, that one. It's, it's going to make things a little bit tricky, a little bit more difficult because, you know, um, a lot of us have players who are already considering leaving school early. So are now a lot of those players going to be thinking about turning pro even earlier, or are they going to go ahead and, you know, take that extra year, do a double, do a double major and, and take that extra eligibility. And if they're really, really good, we're probably most likely going to want to keep them that extra year and keep them on scholarship. So um, as for those, you know, 2021, 2023, 2023 class, you know, it, it can be very delicate with how we're going to handle all these scholarships. Um, but it's, it's, it's the situation that I think all of us coaches, we're going to um, deal with this with this open, honest communication with these recruits and, and our current players, because there's sometimes we might have a player who might have an additional year of eligibility, but we need to also look for the future success of our program. And so maybe that extra year eligibility isn't what is best for our program, you know? So it's, it is definitely going to be delicate, delicate. It's a sensitive situation, but yet, you know, these athletes were, they were, they had a year of, of their sport stolen from them. And so I do like the fact that they're going to get an opportunity to compete. Um, it is going to put a lot of schools in a financial bind, possibly more schools than others, but I think at the end of the day, um, if these athletes want to come back for an extra year, it's a good thing. Yeah, that's, that's great insight. Cause like I said, it's still so uncertain and, and there's no answers and no situation that's going to be the same, which is how recruiting tends to be. But now even, even more of that, anybody else seeing anything um, on your end that you feel like is going to change or really affect things um, that you can share? That kind I just of think that I think communication is going to be key yeah. um, and just being really transparent. Um, obviously, everybody's facing these challenges together and, you know, we, we will have to um, just really talk through it and and, you know, talk to our talk to the prospects and talk to, to recruits and just have these really open and honest conversations, I think is the most important thing. I think when you can be when you can be true and you can be yourself and you can you can speak speak the truth. I think that's that's the most important piece to this. And obviously it's different for everybody. So just as the recruits are adjusting, we're adjusting as coaches too and trying to, you know, think about what's best for our players, what's best for our current team, what's best for our future, and really just trying to make a really good you know, kind of look from way up high um, and, and do what's best um, so that everybody benefits. I would say, you know, an unintended consequence of giving this year back, it does trickle down to that junior, sophomore class in high school right now. And, and those are going to be the toughest times. But, you know, as I thought about this and kind of leading up even to this call was with the recruiting timeline pushed back a little bit for people, I think that's been actually very helpful. You've had less 2020 to verbal commitments because there's just truly not supposed to be, yeah. you know, the, the correspondence and, and talking to those kids at this age. So, you know, that I think that's what's maybe alleviated some of the stress for those younger classes. Whereas before, if we had, you know, the free reign and some verbal commitments out there for a lot of programs, that could have been a much bigger issue yeah. um, right now. And so that's, you know, again, we're, you look at these five coaches and, and we're probably one of the biggest groups of optimism that I've, I've been around and, and trying to spin it in a way that, you know, makes the most sense. And um, I think that's one of the things that I, I, I think I truly appreciate at this point. Yeah. 
And I think you, yes, you have yeah. to act with, you, you have to always be acting with like just an obscene level of empathy, I think, because, um, you know, the reality is, is a lot of the onus from the NCAA has been put on the coaches to make decisions. And sometimes they're terribly difficult decisions. And, and it's a, it can be an awkward place to be in. Um, but, but certainly one that like as head coaches, you know, we know that that's part of the, the job when we signed up for it. But, um, I think, I think deploying a lot of empathy and just stupid levels of kindness, um, and, and to the other coaches points, transparency in your communication, like, unfortunately there, there, it is an, it is an impossibility to make everyone happy in this situation just by the nature of it. And I think the more you can kind of keep your eye on the ball as far as, yes, this is unprecedented. Yes, this is a global pandemic. Um, our spot in it as college athletics is, is a fringe part of like a bigger thing that's going on. And I think the more that, that you can just, man, like just speak truth, but, but do so in a way that's kind um, and be right up front with the fact that I, I understand this may not be what you want to hear, um, yeah. but it is the truth. And, and I think that, we'll all get further uh, with prospects or returning student athletes. If, if we just say that right up front, listen, this may not be what you're wanting to hear. Yeah. Good, good thoughts there for sure. Cause yeah, you just, you don't know anybody's situation in a way because you may have some players whose parents lost their jobs through this and that's changed things. And that, you know, again, trickles down or, you know, so much is just change that was definitely not expected and, and having to make adjustments where you just don't know that it may not be fair in one situation, but you may gain from something or benefit from something in a totally different situation. Um, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of what I've been trying to tell all of the, the girls that the questions and everything of, of trying to, like I said, trying to, trying to provide answers but yet also just saying you have to accept this uncertainty and you're going to have to accept that everything's not going to go the way you wanted it to and it's just going to be you know uh, a much more patient required kind of thing this time around all right well enough of talk about all of that let's get into um let's let's talk a little bit we all know we're about to know um, we're kind of talking a little bit about ages and where we were but we were not too far off from junior golf, college golf being around the same time. And this actually got brought up, made me think about this question last night with the, um, the Michael Jordan documentary going on. Um, a girl I trained with is a, is a younger athlete and she made the comment about, you know, how much harder she felt like athletes back then had to work than what they do now, even though now they seem to be bigger and stronger and faster. So it made me kind of think back to what do you all as coaches see now that, you feel like is a lot different than when we were that age going through junior golf and college golf. Um, just more out of kind of a curiosity insight thing that, um, let me say that kind of stemmed from that. But what do you feel like is so much different than what they said? Obviously technology, there's some obvious things, but what do you feel like is maybe different now that um, compared to our days of playing junior college golf? Strami smiling. I feel like it's like off the top of your head is dealing with social media. Yeah, yeah. This the stressor that I don't, you know, envy any of the parents on this call because they're going to have to raise a kid that's never not known to have a cell phone as they've needed it or social media at their fingertips. You know, they're getting more information bombarded at them. So, you know, I would say that's number one when when we tell kids, you know, like, well, we just didn't miss practice. Well, what'd you do if something came up? 
you know, how'd you get it? And like, you just didn't, nothing came up. You were at practice when you were supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> what if there was, you know, if you had to get a hold of coach, I'm like, well, you call her on the landline. And <laughs> it's a landline. <laughs> urgency. Like our dorms had phones on the wall, you know? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. so I guess well, you, you had know, the whiteboards on the door that you walked by somebody's door and wrote yeah. them an actual note. And then if they got it, it might be the next day, but that was you her might not hear from us. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. That and instant messenger on your computer. You had to actually be in your room on your computer. To, to yeah. I didn't get an email address until I was in college. Like, yeah. I mean, think of the amount of information these kids are just getting bombarded with. Um, you know, and, and our kids working, I think there are kids that work just as hard as we work, if not harder in college. So I, you know, I don't like to generalize greatly yeah. in that department but um they're given a lot you know and, and kids are given a ton more um maybe from a perspective of, of swag or whatever you want to call it and then it's it, but with what i often tell kids is like you know to whom much is given much is expected and so as we rise kind of up with that with that um that type of deal like i think there's there's a huge sense of commitment on their end as well and uh so i you know i think that's just the biggest thing though with the need to feel like they fit in and the need to kind of not want to stand out maybe for the right reasons. A lot of times they'd rather blend in. Um, there's just a lot more social pressure. I, that's, that's probably the biggest thing I would say as a coach I see compared to when I was playing in college. And Elisa, I, I'll add to that. I was on the PAC 12 mental health summit uh, this past February and it was very insightful of the statistics that have been done. I think one of the biggest issues I've noticed um, just in my coaching of 13 years is um, the need for mental health services. And I think it's um, becoming more acceptable to reach out for mental health, to work with either, either sports coaches or, or mental coaches or a psychologist clinical or, or, or sport, but it's, um, it's more acceptable. And I think that's good, but that's one of the biggest changes is, I mean, I would say probably, 99% of my team are always using some form of psychological services, uh, good or bad for personal or for sport, which that's a big change from, I think, when we play. Yeah. 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 I, I think, too, um, just to add to what these guys are saying, I think we're yeah, probably the most anxious society we've ever been and um, how, you know, I, a lot of our incoming players or current players, they've had a lot of access to resources. And I, I really feel like the investment in a, in a sport coach to become an elite thinker is something that is, um, you know, just not done enough. And um, I've challenged my team during this time just to try and become a better person, try and, try and, you know, try and, you know, pour into yourself during this period of time and, and how important that is. I've seen more players this day and age, um, their name tag has become their golf score instead of me. My name is Shauna. And I think that's, you know, their, their connection to their performance is, is really a roller coaster ride and how, you know, being able to disconnect from that you are who you are, you know, take ownership of yourself. And I, I just think that that's where I've noticed a big change. Um, and especially a lot of my team, just, you know, when they don't play good, they are sad or down or, and, and just the importance of just being healthy and confident mentally. Uh, I think that's a place um, that, you know, I think is, is, you know, back in the day, we, you know, we would, we were just, we were so disconnected with social media. We didn't have all of that access. So really we were just grading ourselves and, and, trying to be better at what we did. And now there's just so much feedback, um, whether it's good or bad. I think it's hard for, 
young people to process and, and really move through that. And I think it's, you know, their, their value shouldn't be what they shoot. Yeah, I mentioned it. You, oh, go ahead, Lindsay. Also, go ahead. Shana, just to your point, I think a lot of it is because as soon as your round's done, we, it's posted on social media. Yep. Yeah. You know, we have the live scoring where now at some tournaments, it's every hole, you know, so your parents know exactly what you shot, exactly what you did on each hole right after the round when you call them, you know, you, I think they feel that they cannot mess up or they can't make a mistake because someone's going to see it or someone's going to hear about it because of social media and because of the live scoring and everything. Yeah, that's what I actually part of what I was gonna say. And I remember I wrote an article about, you know, how parents sometimes I feel like they forget that tournaments are two days and or three days and after a good first round, they'll post it and share it. And I'm like, I know you're doing it because you're excited, but you gotta think all of a sudden this player not only has the pressure on herself, but now she's thinking about all these people who saw social media and the tournament still got another day that at least wait until the tournament's over, you know, they're already feeling the pressure that they're leading the tournament for the first time. Um, that all of a sudden and they have to think about all of your friends and family that you posted to on social media about it. You know, again, it's one thing when the tournament's over and you've won and you want to share it, but just something that simple um, can make a big difference because, you know, most parents are doing it obviously from the goodness of their heart. And we, you know, you all as parents, my niece and my nephew, I do it. Uh, but just little things to be aware of that I've tried to kind of um, more on the parent side of things with that, because again, they don't just have the parents, it's everybody's friends and family and everything that's on there. And, you know, as much as they might say they don't mind, um, you know, in the back of their head, it's thinking, God, you know, well, my mom told everybody that I, you know, was leading this tournament and now I'm going to lose. And she's going, you know, just all that added stuff that, you know, like I said, we didn't have to think so much about. I had a story back from, from Q school many years ago, back in, I was in California. So the first stage was out there that year. And I called my, my dad and I were on the phone and I was like, man, do I need to call you after every round? Like that I finished and let you know how it goes. <laughs> like I, and internally I felt like I did cause I owed it to them. Right. Like it wasn't that he was expecting it, but I, I finally was just like, I gotta have this conversation. And this is probably when I had like a calling card and had to dial down the center and 15 <laughs> minute or whatever it was, you know? And he's like, no, he's like, do you think your brother calls me after he gives like six lessons in a day and tells me how each lesson went and how, <laughs> how you have to get better and got it, you know, hitting a big hook to, you know, high fade or whatever. I'm like, no, he just wants because the scores get posted online afterwards and we can look it up. It's okay. And that was back in the day when, right, scores would get posted once everyone was done. So, yeah. you know, sometimes it's, at a young age, sometimes you got to have conversations with mom and dad too. And I think that's the encouragement of, when we talk about transparency and conversations we're having with recruits or with our own players, um, the earlier you can start to kind of develop that sort of relationship and say, Hey, like I got this. And um, you start to develop that confidence in what you're doing. I think that goes a long ways too in, in your maturity as a player and understanding like Shauna's saying like, Hey, you know, I'm not attached to my score every day. It's I'm a person that maybe just didn't have a great round, but I'm still a person and a human being. That's very, very true. Lots of uh, good, good examples there. Uh, well, this kind of goes into it a little bit, I think, too. I think Shauna mentioned it. What do you see as kind of one of the biggest just shocks to incoming freshmen that they get there? And, you know, again, you can only prepare so much. And obviously, you know, I had the junior players a lot of times, but what's something that's just one of the biggest things that you see freshmen? Well, there's the same thing over and over that they just, you know, I've had some say they didn't imagine there'd be so much team drama or they just didn't imagine that, 
their time would be that like, you know, they just, what, what do you all as coaches see is the biggest shock for freshmen when they get there or maybe at the end of their freshman year that they look back on. Who wants yeah. to like Yeah. All right. Erica, like she had something, something um, to say there. No, I just, uh, one of the, I guess, I think one of the biggest ones is, is I think a lot of people are and will continue to be shocked that a lot of college coaches are more on the transformational side than the transactional side. And if you've certainly come up through junior golf where your score is attached to your name and you don't have value or purpose beyond that for a lot of people, um, I think that can be really shocking. Uh, we, we had a freshman this year that like the entire first semester, you know, after a round, I would, I would say what I said to her and she would almost look at me and she'd be like, is that all? It's like, yeah. That's all. She's like, so you're not mad? And I'm like, your, your effort was awesome. You had a great attitude. Um, I saw you working through your, you know, your Stratoline book. I saw that you were putting, you know, the brain behind it. It looked like you were fairly relaxed over the ball. That's just all you could get out of it today. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, so then no, no, I'm not. You mad. want me to yell at you? Like, yeah, yeah. And I think, I think that there are a lot of college coaches that lean more to, to that yeah. side of um, kind of, I don't know, servant leadership or, or certainly situational leadership. And um, it's interesting to watch them almost have to like undo years of the other thing. Like, and, and she flat out said, she's like, I, you just got to not be quite so positive all the time. And, and it, uh, so I, I, honest to God though, I'm like, okay, I'll meet you in the middle. Like I can temper that back. That's not a problem. But, um, that first semester was very much like a feeling out process. Cause she literally was like, that was so foreign to her that it, she's like, is, is coach being fake? And it's like, no, 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 that's actually just, that's no, that's her. Like, she'll show you that over time. But, um, I wonder, I, have, do you guys, other coaches, have you guys had that situation? Yeah, I would certainly say peeling back some of those layers of, of long-time connection of score and, and value um, as they've grown up in a household that put a lot of value on it. Um, yeah, I think, you know, especially as freshmen, right? They just, all they want to do is make sure you're happy. Like a, yeah. they want to make sure their coaches like them and mm -hmm. they're doing the right things. Um, I would go as far as like the time management side too, right? Like they don't realize how much of their day is really just already planned out for them, whether it's actually written down or not, it's like, this is what's going to have to get done. So um, it kind of, you know, it's always talked about as they lead up to that, that first even week on campus, you know, you're always kind of, you know, hey, what would you tell your freshman yourself, your freshman year as a senior and man, it's just managing your time and, and your schoolwork, but you really have two full-time jobs. And, and your coaches are there to support you in excelling in both. Um, it's not just that we want you to be great golfers. And, and, you know, I think that gets misunderstood to kind of Erica's point too. It's, it's almost like, wow, really? Like you care about all of this, not just the golf. Um, so kind of, you know, working through, working through that. I, you know, one of my, I call it unwritten rules is you just can't suck at both and that might come across a little bit weird to some people but like if you're not playing great golf you probably should be really good in the classroom and I'm not afraid to to make sure they understand that you know I think that's uh if you're playing great golf you're gonna have a little more leeway in the classroom that's that's kind of an unwritten rule for me I think I think with my freshmen like what Lisa's saying about time management it's um 
I think every year I struggle with how much of my freshmen can't seem to get enough sleep. Um, I think living in a new environment, being social, uh, the academic demands, the athletic demands, and they just can't find enough hours in the day to get the amount of sleep that they need. And that, uh, I mean, every day, I'm tired, I'm tired. I'm like, what time do you go to bed? So it's just that time management, but more importantly, just to get the rest you need for your body to recover to actually play at capacity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To add to that, I think that's one, absolutely the workload, right? It's, it's the time management, figuring out how to study, go to class, practice, do your laundry, sleep. Um, you have to be a, a person who likes a schedule, who's a planner, who can look ahead. You know, one thing that I tell my girls is they, the first thing they do when they get their syllabus for their uh, for the quarter is they, they look at when the midterm exams are and when the final exams are and how that compares to when we have tournaments. You know, so I think it's taking responsibility and just like Laura said, the workload. I think this is one thing, I don't know if you can prepare for the amount of work you have in college. Like Shauna says, it's two jobs, you're a student and you're an athlete. And that's one thing I really try and stress in the recruiting process is that those two things are your, are your priorities. It's not being your social life, being in a sorority. If you choose to be a golfer nowadays, especially, I mean, I think it's, it's much more demanding than it was when I was playing. Um, I think you have to decide before you even go to college that those two things are your priority and you're going to do your best at both and find a way to get both done successfully. Um, have, a, have a schedule or have a plan and make sure that you commit to that plan every, every day and every week. Yeah, lots of lots of good points, and I think um, what Erica said was fun. It was kind of interesting, only because I had a scenario come up that was the reverse, actually. And I think that's where it's so important about asking coaches and on both sides of things to be very transparent as a player and and obviously as a coach. Where I've had a parent come to me that was very shocked at how much this particular coach was so much just about your score, and they didn't expect that. And this particular player had not necessarily been brought up that way, and her coach wasn't that way, and they weren't. And she did get an environment where it was more um you know about your score and if you didn't hit this number you were gonna get you know kind of yelled at and she's like is are all coaches like this and I was just kind of like I promise you not all are that you know it, it's it's probably maybe a little bit tougher than maybe your high school coach was but it was just really shocking to them that that you know and I think they just admitted that ended up in a wrong situation and and just the wrong type of coaching for her mentality because she had never had that in their environment and so I, I think that can can go both ways as well and it's just a big part of trying to find what's the right fit and everybody trying to be transparent and, and honest about things going through it which we'll talk a little bit about some of that but obviously we don't want to get in not trying to get into too much of the recruiting kind of stuff with that but I just thought it was interesting when you brought that up of, of I've had a consultation of the opposite side of that which is maybe a little more maybe a little more of the rare situation um since you Brandy like some of the you know recruits that we bring in or first year players that we have then you know they're used to their way of doing things mm -hmm. and i think that's a um a trait that's made them really good you know the the ability to kind of have that internal drive but then all of a sudden working in a team environment yeah can kind of take them out of like what they're used to um and sometimes really almost um 
make them kind of second guess, like, hey, what, what is this about here? Like, golf's an individual sport. And it truly is. And that's why I think our job is so unique. It's such a it's so individual, yet we've got to get the common group, whether it's seven, eight, nine kids, all moving in the same direction. So uh, sometimes that's a big shock to their system when they're used to having their own personal coach. Hey, this is who I send my videos to. Hey, this is what I do. I go and practice, and it's on my own practice plan. Um, and kind of guiding them through that. And then you, know, you want that self-sufficiency for sure, but you also need players to step in when you need either leadership in certain ways or um, kind of creating that team environment that's healthy. Makes sense. Makes, makes a lot of sense. Um, all right. Got a couple more questions and then um, I've had a lot of good information, but there was one or two more that I definitely want us to touch on um, before we wrap this up. But one of them is still a little more catered to kind of college golf life, but want to transition just a little bit about um, kind of the junior golfers going through some of this stuff, but this kind of overlaps both. But what are some of the things from a practice round perspective that you all do with your players um, that you feel like just, you know, makes a big difference. Obviously it's different when you've got a team there and you as coaches, but what are some of the things that might be just some good kind of pass along to these junior players as they get ready to go back to play in and, and they don't always get to do practice rounds, but what are some of the things that you maybe have noticed that again, maybe the incoming freshmen weren't aware of that they start to learn during these practice rounds and, and having that time out there um, or just the practice before the, you know, before rounds or anything, any, um, any advice there? Um, I think one of the probably unique things of college golf is we, a lot of times we've played the course before. So we have whole locations and stuff. So instead of, I can promise you where the flag is in the practice round, it's not going to be there. Get <laughs> yes. um, louder for the people in the back. Yes, please. Yeah, I amen. <laughs> um, and, and to not, <laughs> not, not practice to that spot. Good, so yes. for us, like if we're going back to a course and I know that the second day whole location has been the toughest, um, I'll actually have my team hit to that whole location in the practice round because um, just to sort of visually prepare them. But I do notice that a lot. So much work is done around the practice, you know, the practice round, you know, whole location that, I mean, it does you no good. Um, just really trying to, you know, we, when we know those whole locations, you know, like recognizing where you want to be when the holes are in certain locations, I think is really important. Even if you don't have them, just trying to make a good, you know, guess, if you will, and, and trying to hit some of those shots um, to those whole locations, I think is, is huge. Um, that's one thing that we, we really try and do. Obviously you have Google earth. Now you can do all, if you don't get a practice round, you can do so much, you know, even on a computer now, I think is, um, you know, really, uh, you know, there's, you can get so creative with what you do, but definitely that's one of my pet peeves is, I'm like, stop hitting putts to that flag stick publication. It's not going to be there. I'm 100% sure. So, you know, I think just really, you know, a lot of uh, short game stuff, obviously getting some lines off the tees, I think is really important. Not just knowing I'm going to hit it at that tree, but how far is that bunker in the distance? Because what if they move the tees? And being able to adjust your plan, I think, is what's really, you know, our girls are, I'm just going to aim there. I'm like, well, what if they move the tee up? You're going to still hit driver in the bunker. I mean, just really start paying attention to the numbers, not so much the targets on those lines, I think is a really important thing that we really try and focus on too. I'll add to that, Shauna. I think one of our biggest things as coaches is making these young women get out of la la land of unrealistic uh, ball flight and landing and, actually understanding how far they hit each club and not, I mean, I, my players constantly 
from sea level to living, you know, 1500 feet above sea level in Arizona, there's going to be a difference in ball flight carry numbers and understanding that when we go to Chicago, the ball's not going to go as far. So just really owning your game, owning your distances and knowing and being smart and being okay with that is how far I hit the ball. You know, it's because it's hard when you get in that group atmosphere and you have some power hitters and you have some short hitters and one girl might be hitting a, an eight iron on a par three and another girl might be hitting a hybrid, but that is okay. Just accept your game, but know your numbers. Yes. And I think too, like considering, um, I think it's really important to consider like what type of club you had into a green. Um, because like one of my pet peeves is, is maybe it's a three shot par five but everybody had like a flipped 60 degree wedge. And then like the girl goes down into like the super cavernous steep bunker that's 15 paces off the green on the right. And they're trying to splash the ball out. And they're like, this golf course is so hard. And I'm like, we're really hoping that you're not there tomorrow. Um, it looked like you hit a really good wedge in there today. Um, and, and even like proximity to the hole and the length of putts. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent on like, Let's not take the mindset of the sky is falling in the practice round um, because inevitably you get a player that on every hole has practiced the 60 foot double breaking, you know, super undulating putt and, and they three holes in and they're like, this golf course is so hard. And I'm like, I would imagine it would be very hard um, to play it the way you're currently practicing. So I think, I think, I don't know. I just think like, consider, consider what kind of type of club you had into the green and, and really consider, proximity to the hole and, and kind of what your margin of error is. And, you know, there's no need to go search for every ounce of trouble on a golf course in the practice round. Sometimes if you know a little bit less, it, it, the course kind of opens up for you. Yeah. I'll add to that, Erica. Um, we also talk a lot about the type of shot we want to hit into the green, meaning I find in the spring season, um, we just played two lanes of an English turn um, country club and the greens are very small there. Um, and hitting high and soft shots into the green is what we, that's the common theme for the spring because the greens are a little bit more firm. Um, it depends on where you're playing, but we talk about, okay, how can you hit a high cut into this? Not that low draw that could end up 20 yards, you know, over the green or something. So we talk about, okay, obviously this is where we want to hit in from, but what type of shot are you going to hit? Um, and then one thing that I think has really been a, a big difference in our confidence with our short game is on every hole we'll pick a, the coaches will pick a location where everyone chips from. And this is, we play five sums in our practice rounds for the most part, but where everyone will chip from and they'll, they'll see, we'll put a pin in where we think the first round's going to be. And we'll chip to that location who can get it closer. And we have a little competition going for 18 holes. The winner gets to pick what dessert we have that night. Um, but getting the mindset, because you can, I've seen it before, a lot of players get technical during practice rounds. They start worrying about their swing, making sure that their swing's perfect. So the more you can stay in competition mode, um, getting the ball in the hole, that's the one thing I think it is okay to putt out during the practice round. You have to remember to see the ball going into the hole. You know, I've had players who haven't hit a ball into the hole in two days <laughs> from the time we practice during a practice round because they haven't been going to that hole and, you know, they haven't been rolling putts in. So I think there is a fine line to, of, of what to practice your mentality, but to stay competitive and not, not get into that technical mode. Yeah. And I think good use of your time during your practice round would be 
marking kind of where those tee boxes are. You know, for us as coaches, we do that a lot for our players. We're creating, you know, players that want to go play professional golf. They've got to be a little bit more aware of it themselves. Um, but as a junior golfer, like, hey, when I go out and play, make sure I'm marking, like, I played from this tee box. And when you walk up to that hole in the first round, like, just double check. Are you, like, Sean, like, are you playing from the same tee box you just did yesterday? And it sounds so simple. Um, but all of a sudden, that club selection off your tee could be completely different um, later on. And and to, to the other points of kind of maintaining some competitiveness, you know, there's some games you can do. Like, you could hold out on par fives for the day and just, like, hey, as a team, can we play the par fives? three under you know and so individually like if you played the par fives out could you be under par that day and that again keeps you in that mindset of competing and, and holding out some shots um or some putts but um you know, that's probably the biggest jump in competitiveness in the junior level to the college levels kids that are maybe a little bit underprepared and sometimes they don't realize how much we're prepared for those practice rounds you know when we give the information it's not like we're just kind of guessing like typically we've had our stracker book we've gone through and made sure those numbers make sense from the tee boxes we play since those are typically from the tips those numbers so we've adjusted our books um trust your coaches a lot you know and that and i'm not just saying trust them blindly and everything they say is the gospel but we do have a lot of experience in that look across the board here with these coaches like we've been to a lot of golf courses and our experience at a high level um does pay off and, and if you can learn to kind of have a good conversation during practice round of hey what do you think if I'm in this situation those are great times to have those chats um, as opposed to the final round you know and you, you all of a sudden have to hit a golf shot and you're like well what would you do I'll just add uh, one quick thing uh, one quick thing um, I think as a junior golfer and my players you know included but just a lot of visualization you if you just get one practice round you can go home that night and play that golf course again um, in your head. And I think that just gives you more reps and more, you know, usually if you're visualizing, you can see some pretty good stuff happen. So I, I just think, I know I did that a lot as a player and I think it was a, a, a separator to be quite honest. And um, I, I just felt like I was a little more prepared because I knew that, you know, before I went to bed, I'd played that golf course another two times um, in my brain rather than just, Oh, I only got, you know, one practice round in today. I mean, I think twice this year, we didn't get a practice round in college golf. So what do you do? I mean, they have to rely on us um, a lot. You have to give them good information. You got to use those numbers. You know, I, I just think there's a lot of stuff you can, you can go through Google Earth and look at the golf course and just kind of, you know, set a plan for yourself so that you, you can be successful. I had a player miss yeah, because she was sick. So the whole team played. And then uh, this was when I was at Texas State. And um, she was in our private housing the entire day. So the next day when she got to the golf course, I was like, hey, I'm going to be with you for the day. And I'm just going to point you around the golf course. And I mean, there were some blind shots out at Mountain View. Mm -hmm. And we got to the last hole, which was number nine for her. And I looked at her coming down the fairway. I said, have you ever played a golf course blind for your first round of a college golf tournament? She goes, no, have you ever coached one through something like this? I said, no. I'm like, we're doing pretty well. And she went bogey free, shot under par. You know, it was like, I almost didn't know what she didn't know. And it was just like, hit it here. Okay. Hit it here. Okay. So, you know, there's a lot to be said for what Shauna's saying. And I think along that same line, Shauna, like, the better you get at visualizing, the quicker you can do it. Like you can almost visualize a golf course in about 60 seconds. And if you can't quite get to there, there's some great resources out there and I'm sure Brandy can point you in the right direction. But I mean, visualizing is such a powerful, powerful tool that goes unutilized. Awesome. Awesome. Lots of, uh, lots of stuff. And, and I can sit here and ask questions and, and talk with you all, all day, but I do know we want to 
maybe start to wrap this up. I know some of you guys that are kind of escaping your, your kids for a little while and maybe only have so much time, but there was just a couple of things. And so what I may do is if you want to pick one of these three, if you want to quickly uh, kind of tackle each of them, however you want to do it, let each of you kind of, um, kind of wrap it up. Like I said, I'll sit here and talk to you all day or listen to you all talk. Cause I sit here and learn and, and enjoy it and enjoy the, the jokes and everything. But I did want to just talk a little bit about a little more specific to the junior golfers and kind of what you all look at and, and see and, and the things that stand out, both positive and negative. So I said, if you each want to maybe just, um, if there's one that stands out, but kind of give you the three things that I know everybody kind of is looking for, which is, you know, major red flags that you see when you're out at tournaments. Is there something that just really, really stands out? Um, and then we'll, we'll kind of do these two. And then I guess if you want to add in this third one um, or the other side of that, what's some of the most important things you do look at, you know, what are the more, especially as far as their game goes or within that, maybe something more from a value standpoint, something that they do beyond just their game that you might see. And so either both of those kind of combine together between their game and, and then the value of it and the red flag or the positive. So um, like I said, I'll let each of you kind of tackle those and then we'll wrap this up just with, with this last question that, might have a little extensive answer on some of them and then we'll wrap it up though from there. Who dares so take that first? Who wants to go first? I know, I know that it's very open-ended. So, well, I figure some of you might hit some that others are thinking about. And so we'll just kind of trickle down with that. I'll talk about off the course stuff. How about I'll take okay. that angle. Okay, okay. So, um, resist the urge, uh, whether it's mom driven or whether it's student, like prospective student athlete driven, but resist the urge for mom or dad to be the equipment manager. Um, I, you know, you see, you see kids getting out of the car and the mom's feverishly setting up the push cart and the dad's icing down the beverages and, you know, they're giving her the towel so she can wipe her brow and they haven't even left the parking lot yet. And, and um, I, I love that the parents <laughs> love their kid. Like, I feel like I'll be the same way with Lou when she gets that old, but um, like, let go ahead and just let your prospect get herself ready and, and, push your own push cart over to the, to the range. I think that that's, um, that's, that's one that I feel like I've heard that one a lot. That's a pet peeve yeah. for, for a lot of people. Um, and then I think, uh, when you're ready to play offense and you're ready to contact coaches, like, man, the formal email, unless that is just who you are in your heart and you are the most formal person <laughs> on earth. Um, and if that is not authentic, then y'all please don't do that. Um, I, I you can, it's so the, the volume and the amount of communication that we get, um, is, is a lot. And every email sounds the same and they've all, I mean, they're just polished within an inch of their life. Um, and, and it's, it's all good content. Uh, but every now and then you get that one prospect that's like, what's up coach, you know, and, and it just sounds different when you're reading it and you make it to the end of that email every time. Cause it, it's just different. So, don't polish the emails to within an inch of their life. If you're not formal, go ahead and be who you are. Authenticity is critically important. And then you, it's okay to be your own equipment manager. That's the off the course stuff. All right. Awesome. Good start there. I've got my three. Um, <laughs> All right. I love to see a player who can come back from adversity. Um, let's say a kid that shoots 85 the first round, last of a, like a AJJ or a a big tournament and comes back with a 69. That means that kid's got some heart and you can't teach that. That's pretty good stuff. So um, I also like to see a kid with some speed. I like someone that's strong. I like someone that likes to work out because 
that is going to happen when they come to college. Um, another thing is uh, I want them to have good communication. I'm going to call you on the phone and I want to know that we can actually have a conversation. Just even if it's, how are you coach? And how's your family? Or what'd you do today? Just simple, basic, just good communication skills. And then one thing I've noticed that I, I totally am on board with, I don't want parents, you know, wiping their brow after they're sweating or rushing them a ham and cheese sandwich at the turn. I get that. And we're parents, we love our kids, but I actually appreciate a parent who will go around in a practice round with their child because these kids are young, you know, let's say they're anywhere from the ages of 10 to 17 and they're still learning a lot about the game of golf. And so if a parent can invest and maybe help them think their way around the golf course, I think that's great because that they might be a little bit, um, have a little bit advantage of that next junior golfer because mom and dad have actually helped them think better on the golf course. I'm hoping. I'm hoping, but I'll find that out in the communication stages, talking to the parents. <laughs> so. I was to say, that's one of those, you say it, and then you have to kind of put all the parameters around. That's not always the best case and not yeah. always, but I do, I, I agree with that and think that it can be a very positive for parents who can't do it. And for and sometimes the kids need to be told you do need to actually listen to your parents sometimes because they do know a little more about the game of golf that you're still learning. And in some cases they actually need to listen. And then there's other cases they need to tell the parents to get off the golf course and never come back and watch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Depends on the parent. Kidding, but not kidding. All right. Couple more here. What else we got? I'll go. Um, one right. thing I'd love to see is just their work ethic when they're not forced to either warm up before a round or practice after a round. Um, I love to get to the range first and I'm one of those coaches that wants to see, you know, what their what their warm up is, what their parents are doing to help that warm up. And then at the end of the round, I'll be the first on the range because I want to see who's working after, you know, they had either a good round or a bad round and preparing for the next tournament. Um, but with the emails and the communication part, I think a big thing that I'm looking for is no complaining, no excuses, and taking ownership um, for the way you played. I don't want to hear about the weather was awful. I, I was sick. I hurt myself. I, you know, all these excuses <laughs> of why you didn't perform. I want to know why and just own up to it. You know, say today was a bad day because I know that you can take coaching and that you're going to be a hard worker if you can do those things during the recruiting process. Yeah. Good points there. Very good. Um, I'm going to go with like ditto on everything they said. Um, but for me too, um, I actually love to develop players. Um, I think that's um, probably one of my passions in coaching. And so, you know, if a player hasn't played their best golf yet and has a lot of upside, I love that. I love to, you know, get in the trenches and teach and, and help them grow um, in the sport. So it's not always like where you are now. It's like, where can you go to? And what, you know, have you reached your limit or your ceiling? And, and I, I think that there's a lot of value in that. Um, you know, if we can get players who haven't played their best golf yet, I think that's an exciting piece to the, to the process and in recruiting something that we look for. And, and I think it's always great to watch a kid during adversity in, in a round of golf. I'd rather see them shoot 82 than 69 because 82 I can see who they truly are everybody has smiling and is holding flowers when they shoot 69 but you know what are you doing when it's not your best day and how, how do you respond to that I think is Mike and I talk about that a lot um, in the recruiting process I, I how do you 
you know, what do you do after you make a triple? You know, it, you know, how, how is your response to that? Because I think that says a lot about who you are and your, um, and who you are as a competitor. And I think just to reiterate, the, the connection and the communication piece is, is huge for me in recruiting. It's not only our prospects looking at our school, but we're looking at them too. It's, it's an investment on all sides. And we want to make sure that, you know, you know, we're getting a good family member to join our family as well. So that the communication, I think, needs to be authentic and real. And, um, you know, I think it's got to be a good fit for everybody. So I think there's just a big, you know, I always talk about recruiting as holistic. I mean, there's just so much to it. It's not, it's not just one piece. And, you know, I think Laura's right. I love speed. I mean, speed is amazing. I and mean, that's, you can't teach that so quickly in our, in our game. You can't gain it in a, in a month or six months. Um, so there's a lot of components to it, I think, that make it make a special, you know, prospect. But, you know, I think that's where these things are so good for people to, to know that it's not always about the golf score for us. It's, there's a lot more pieces to the puzzle that um, make you a perfect fit for Arkansas or, or Arizona or Denver. You know, it's, it's really, um, it's, a, it's a lot of work that goes into it. And it's a really important piece on, on both sides. Yeah, very, yeah. very true. Lots of good stuff there. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to re repeat all that because I think that's a lot yeah. of red flags. So most kids just need to avoid all that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, on the uh, on the side of the upside of things, you know, I, I would go to the social media aspect, right? Like if you're not posting stuff about golf, it doesn't really show your passion yeah. for the game. Um, I love kids that love the game. I don't, I'm not saying you have to be a golf nerd, but have a little bit of historical context. You know, I've, I've named a couple of players, you know, Lorena Ochoa spoke at Northrop Grumman this year and like, we had to make sure kids knew who she was. Yeah. And again, you don't have to be a historian and look everything up, but I think there's um, really <laughs> strong. <laughs> My, okay, fine. I was trying to be sneaky and I got caught. My iPad's about to go dead. <laughs> Uh, but I think there's a really strong connection to kids that have kind of that that passion and love of a game that could take them to, you know, heights that they've never seen before, experiences they've never gotten to do. Is there that really strong connection, though, if you don't have it? Surely there are great players out there, um, but that don't have maybe the golf knowledge or the history. But I don't know. It just shows, you know, when you scroll through someone's Instagram and they haven't posted about golf in a year and they've been emailing you you might kind of go, how, what is, this doesn't match. So how really true to themselves, or if they've got the other thing, I guess maybe this is a red flag for me. And I know some people advocate for it, but a golf account and then their personal account. I, I don't know where everyone else stands on the call. I just, you know what, like it's a part of who you are. So like, don't try to sell me on, Hey, this is where I'm with golf. And my life stuff is kind of over here. Cause I think we all know they intertwine and, and your, your personal best includes all of it. Yeah, good points there. And I, there's a few things I would add on to that, but we would be on here for a lot longer because it has been a big topic of conversation with a lot of people, a lot of my kids and parents about social media and how to use it in the multiple accounts. And do you post about golf? Do you not? How does that reflect? So that would start a whole other debate, which maybe we'll cover a podcast on that or, or something. Um, but very, I, I agree. There's a lot of red flags and positives and negatives that can come from social media and, and how different everybody is with that. But we will not get started on a whole tangent of that. Um, I think that last bit covers a lot. Like I said, it kind of wrapped up questions into one, but I don't want to keep you all any longer. I know even though y'all 
have a little different schedule and a little more availability. I also don't want to um, take any more of your time than, um, than is, uh, I guess, necessary. But like I said, I enjoy hearing from, you know, from you all. And I have just a ton of respect for all of you and, and the different content you've done and things you've shared has just been great. And in times that I've spent with you all. So I appreciate you taking the time to do this. I know it was uh, extremely helpful and lots of great information. I hope on my end technology, technology wise, I have it all, um, lined up to uh to have recorded and and turns out okay um for some I've recorded video that's not just like a one-on-one thing so um fingers crossed on that but um any last parting words as we sign off um that anybody would like to share as we sign off and everybody goes back to their I mean, I crazy daily great, routine got a great great group of coaches great group of, mm-hmm. of minds that you know we might have a lot of like-mindedness and in, in ways we approach things, but a lot of different ways of then doing it. So yeah. I think just, um, you know, hats off to Brandy and what, just what you're doing as far as helping junior golf navigate this, this journey for them and um, making it, you know, somewhat more manageable for us too. Well, thank you. And, and like I said, thanks again for everybody joining and for everybody who joined in and listened. And um, I hope you got some great insight. And again, everybody during this, this crazy time, hopefully we get back to normal soon. And while I will miss this time of being able to reach out to coaches and them actually answer and, and be more um, helpful, <laughs> I have definitely tried to take advantage of that during this time to the best of my abilities and encourage my players to do that as well, um, but within reason. So again, Thank you all. Everybody take care, be safe, um, take care of those, those children you get to spend more time with and, and husbands and everything else. And, and just, uh, four-legged children, which y'all saw mine join over here a few minutes ago. Um, and just continue to get better at, at, uh, at what we all do. And I admire that and appreciate it. Um, and again, everybody take care. Thank Thanks you, Brandy. Brandy. Appreciate, appreciate you. It. Thank you.